Got a, a little bit of a flashback here moment for you. Maybe you can help me out. Couldn't get nine to convince them. Maybe you can. Remember the Brady Bunch? All right. Do you remember that episode where the Brady Six had to go and sing live because they were trying to get that record deal? And then Peter, unfortunately, hit puberty in the midst of it, and they didn't know what to do? We are trying to get Mark to sing that song today. When it's time to change, you got to rearrange. And just, just work them over right now, all right? Work them over. Because that would be a beautiful moment. You know, I'm just saying, it really would. Good to see you guys. So good to see you, especially on a, on a cruddy, just lousy day like this. Um, we, we've been talking about prayer here. And when we ask God for things, I think it can be argued there are one of three basic ways God will answer. Yes, no, and wait. Three basic ways, yes, no, and wait. And I think it's that final answer, wait, that truly might be the hardest of them all. We, we, we've started a new series here called Prayer Remix, and, and what we're doing is we're looking at what we're calling the deep cuts in B-side prayers of the Bible. What we mean by that is those forgotten ones, those ones that get little, very little playtime, very little airtime, and are often quite forgotten and untouched in, in, in churches and among Christians in their own personal study, but, but man, when you hear them, they're rich and, and, and they're powerful. And I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, it's often those forgotten tracks that really carry the most inspiration for me. Whether it's the surprise of them or, or the forgotten message they contain where I have my greatest aha moments. And we're going to be sharing two of those with you today. A sampling of two different prayers you'll find in the Old Testament, both of which revolve around this idea of when God says, Wait. And the first is in a prophet named Habakkuk. And I'm going to invite you to, to, uh, to uh, turn there with me today. And if you're not careful, you're going to page right past him. Because he's like two pages long, buried in the bowels of the latter prophets of the Old Testament. So don't be afraid of the thing called the table of contents, if you need that to find it. But this is a prophet who was looking around at the violence that was happening in his community and in his country and that his people had to suffer from without God seeming to do anything about it. And he's trying to come to terms with it. And he finds himself, I think, like a lot of us find ourselves in moments like that when we're crying out to God, going, what are you going to do about this, Lord? Where are you? And so we start at Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2. Listen to what he says. How long, O Lord? I mean, I, we could leave it there. Have you prayed that? How long, O Lord? How long? How long must I call for help? But you don't listen. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why, why do you make me see this? Why do you make me experience? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why, God, do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife. 
conflict abounds. Therefore, your law's paralyzed. Your will, God, your way, your, your code, it's, 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 it's impotent, it's pointless, it's meaningless, because look at what goes on all around. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of a situation like this prophet enduring something, suffering something, witnessing something that is not right, that is not good, crying out, how long, God? And not even so much, how long do I have to face this, but how long are you going to put up with this? Why do you tolerate it? Why do you let it happen? This is so unlike you. It's contrary to your character. How long? This is Habakkuk's prayer. And what's cool about this prophet is that he records how God answers. Let me show you this. Let me show you this one verse that comes right on the heels. God says this. All right, Habakkuk, look. Look, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. So I'm going to answer your prayer, Habakkuk, and you're going to be blown away by it. You are going to be amazed. In fact, if I even told you, you probably wouldn't believe it. That's how amazing it's going to be. Now, if God came to you and answered in that kind of way, I'm just kind of curious. Would you be expecting bad things or good things? God comes to me and goes, hey, I heard your prayer. Step back. You are going to be blown away at what I'm going to show you. Internally, I am like rock on, right? Until he says this. I am raising up the Babylonians that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are feared and dreaded. They are a law to themselves. They promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly in like vultures. They fly in ready to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings. They scoff at rulers. They laugh at fortified cities and any who think they can resist. They build earthen ramparts and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose strength is their own God. Habakkuk, you think this is bad? You ain't seen nothing yet. You think this violence was intolerable? It is only just beginning. And what do you do when you are calling out to God, how long? because of what is going on and because of what you suffer and endure and God comes back to you and says, you think this is bad? 
Oh, sweetie. It's just starting. It is going to get so much worse. What do you do? This is the prayer of Jesus in Gethsemane. It's what he had to hear. This is Paul on his way to Rome. This is even as John records. The souls of slain martyrs in heaven itself still crying out to God, how long until you avenge our blood? What do you do when you are on your knees crying out to a good and just God? And he answers, wait. Habakkuk comes back. In verse 12, watch him try to wrap his mind around this. Oh, Lord, Lord, wait a minute. Are, are you not from everlasting? Wait, my God, my Holy One, we're not going to die here. No, 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 wait. This is not an acceptable option. Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish, but your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrong. So how could you? How could you answer me like that? That is not you. That is not what you're about. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? God, it's like this. It's like you've made us like fish in the sea. Like sea creatures with no ruler, alone and independent and victimized. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. No one to defend them, no one to plead their cause. He catches them in a net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. And he sacrifices to his net, and he burns incense to his dragnet, for by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations, destroying us without mercy? Have you consigned us to the fate of the fish in the sea? And I love what he does next if you're looking at chapter 2 right there. He does what like little kids do when they get defiant, right? He does what they do when they don't like an answer they get from their parent. The arms cross, the head comes forward, and they just give you the look. You know what I mean? I want you to picture that look while I read these next two verses. So God, I'll stand my watch and station myself on the ramparts I'm going to look and see what you got to say. Answer for yourself, God. I'm going to wait and see. What do you got to say for yourself? And what answer I'm to give to this complaint? And what's so amazing is how God then condescends himself to this angry, defiant, hurting struggling human being. And this accusation he brings against God is he is forced to endure and suffer and wait. This is what it says. 
Okay, write this down. Write it down so there's no denying it. Make it plain, make it clear. Put it on tablets so that a herald can even run with the news. For the revelation, what I'm telling you, what is going to happen in the end awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. And then he gives this line right here. Though it linger, wait for it. I've heard you, Habakkuk. I have. I'm with you, Habakkuk. I really am. I get it. I agree with everything you have to say. But wait. Wait. Though it linger. Though my salvation, my rescue, my help, my promise, though it linger... Wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not right. But the righteous will live by faith. Because sometimes God tells us, wait. And it's in those moments when we're forced to grit our teeth to endure and face whatever suffering is ahead. He leaves us with that assurance, though it linger. Wait. And have faith. Have faith that this is going to resolve in the end. What do you do when God says, Wait. Let me show you another example now. This time, if you would turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. The storyline takes us later in the history of Israel. Daniel, you've got to understand, was kidnapped as a young boy and dragged off into Babylon, this Babylon that God said he was going to allow to come over against the people of Israel. They came in. And Jerusalem really hadn't seen anything yet. And the Babylonians came in, and it was worse than they could have ever imagined. They tore the city to the ground. They burned the temple. They plundered it and put just about every human being to death. Slaughtered. Saving only a few, saving some of the best and the brightest and taking them as refugees, hostages, hauling them out to Babylon. And Daniel finds himself as a young kid, taken away from his family and dragged half a world away to a dangerous, scary place. And by the time you come to chapter 9 of his story, Daniel is now an old man. An old man who has spent his lifetime hoping and waiting for God's deliverance, waiting for the end of this 
delay. And it says in Daniel 9 that it was the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, who was a Mede by descent. And he was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. And in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that this desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. First off, there's something that's phenomenal to me that people in the Bible are actually reading other people in the Bible and growing as a result of that. You just got to kind of geek out on that for a moment. And secondly, we could probably figure out what he was reading. It was probably reading from Jeremiah 29, which says this, when 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to you and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And immediately, you can almost see what's going on through Daniel's mind. Wait, 70 years? 70 years? There's a number here? 70 years? How long have I been in Babylon? 10, 20, 30, 40. I've been in Babylon 70 years. Have you ever had that moment where you've been yearning, where you've been praying, where you have been enduring and gritting your teeth and suffering and waiting, and then a door opens? And a sliver of light starts to come in as you start to realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, is this the end? Is this, is this all that I've been waiting? Is this the day when I'm finally going to be free, rid of this, beyond this, healed, or fill in the blank with whatever else it is you're enduring? Have you ever had those moments where it stands just on an edge, but it's at that place where the door ain't open wide. There's just enough to inspire hope again. But simultaneously, your soul gets afraid because the only thing worse than hoping again is when that hope is not realized. Sometimes I find those moments to be far harder than those other times when you just have to accept it Bear it and grit your teeth. Because at least then, in that place of resigned futility, at least you know what you're up against. At least you can come to terms with what you have to face. But when a little bit of hope starts to dangle in, it's a scary thing. Hope can be a dangerous thing, can't it? to risk your soul on the premise of all that it cost you to come to terms with what you face to begin with. And this is where Daniel finds himself. Reading Jeremiah, getting excited, getting flushed, starting to wonder, getting afraid, starting to panic, starting to wonder, starting to change, starting to imagine what might be before him. And you know what he does? He prays. But it's one of those frantic, flurry, kind of panic prayers. You know what I mean? With all the emotions swirling together and rushing together in that place. And look at what he says. Verse 4, Oh Lord, 
Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. Could it be? Is it true? We have sinned. We have done wrong. We have been wicked. We have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and your laws. We have not listened to your prophets who spoke in your name, to our kings and our princes and our fathers and to all the peoples of our lands. You know why he can pray something like this? You know why he can pray, man, it's all our fault, God. We take credit for it all. Because now it's over with. Because you will say anything when it's over with. Oh, man, the punishment's done. Yeah, you're right. You were so right to do that to us, God. We were so right to endure it. Because I don't got to endure it anymore. Try praying that way at the beginning of the 70. It's a very different thing. He goes on. Verse 7, Lord, you're, you're righteous, but we know this day we're the ones covered with shame. It's not you, it's us. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and all the countries where you've scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. Oh Lord, we, we and our kings and our princes and our fathers were covered with shame because we have sinned against you. But God, you're merciful. You're a 70-year God. You're merciful. You're forgiving. Even though we've rebelled against you, we've not obeyed you or kept your laws, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned away refusing to obey you. God, we get it. We're getting what we deserve. The curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, they've been poured out on us because we've sinned against you. You fulfilled it. You kept true to your word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth, and you did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, because you're righteous in everything you do, and we have disobeyed you. Here it is, verse 15, but now, we can talk about that in retrospect, but now. Now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and made for yourself a name that endures to this day, Lord, you who are a savior by nature, we've sinned, we've done wrong, but in keeping with your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill, our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made us an object of scorn, but now, God, hear our prayers and petitions. For your sake, God. Don't even do it for us. Do it for you. For your sake, God. Look with favor on the desolation of your people, on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see. See the desolation of the city that bears your name. We don't ask this, God, because we're righteous, but because of your great mercy. 
Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear. Lord, act. For your sake, God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Have you ever found yourself in that place of waiting, that place of enduring, with hope opening up before you, daring to believe again, and throwing yourself upon God and appealing to his name. Daniel stands here at the end of the 70 years. This may just be it. And he's praying his guts out. Daring to hope for God's deliverance again. And then something happens. An angel shows up. And I've got to admit, it's got to be kind of cool, I would think, that if you're praying to have an angel show up, kind of cool that is unless he brings a message like this. Let me read you what happens. It says this, in verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, you know, Gabriel marries Gabriel, he had previous game time, um, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, he came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. And he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given. Now off the bat, that kind of answer alone is very instructive to me. He says, as soon as you began to pray, an answer was given. Sometimes it seems like God doesn't listen, or sometimes it seems like God delays. But this angel makes clear to Daniel, no, wait, God heard you. God heard you. And don't think lack of visible responsiveness equates to God blowing you off. God heard and God answered. But remember that God can say yes, God can say no. And God can say, wait. And so Gabriel says this. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. And look at what Gabriel has to say. What do you do when he answers like this? Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people. Wait, what? Jeremiah said 70 years. Oh, Daniel, it's just the beginning. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people. You've got 420 years to go. 
and a sliver of hope. And that light that began to shine in. Can I ask in your heart, in moments like these, does it just start to crumble and fade? What do you do when God not only says wait, but he says wait in such a way that you will never see it? Now, Daniel was all about good health, I'm sure. But not even the best of the health are going to make 420 more years on the equation. God says wait, and Daniel is never going to see it, never going to feel it, never going to experience it. What does it do to you? And moments like these. How do you handle it when God says wait? I've noticed that some people, some people accuse God. They accuse God or blame God or they cross their arms and demand answers. Some people reject him altogether. They walk away. I can't tell you how many people I've met who have dared to believe in God, dared to trust in his promises, dared to hope in his goodness, only to see it undelivered and in disgust or frustration or despair, just walk away angry, bitter, or mad at themselves for being so stupid to begin with, to dare to believe and hope like they did. I can understand that. I, uh, I really can. If I'm speaking to you, I, I get why people feel that way and how it's so easy to come to that place. But in these two prophets, in, in, in Habakkuk and in, in Daniel, you see a different response. It's a different way. And it's a different option available also to you today. Here's what they do. They hold on in faith. Even though they don't see it, they hold on in faith. Even though they have to experience and suffer in it, they hold on in faith. Even though they know it's going to go bad to worse or maybe not even be realized in their lifetime, they hold on in faith. Let me show you how this looks for this prophet Habakkuk. At the end of chapter 3, he records this. He says, you know, I heard this. I heard God say, you ain't seen nothing yet. I heard God say, endure. I heard God say, wait. I heard it and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones. And my legs trembled. This is not the story of some man with, with stoic victory inside rising above it all. 
This is not the story of someone who is unaffected emotionally or spiritually or physically even for that matter. This is a story of someone who is afraid. And yet listen to what he says. Yet I will wait patiently. I'll wait. I'll wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. God, I will wait for you to do what's right by this far worse thing that is yet to come. And to me, in what's one of the most powerful expressions of faith in the Bible, he says this, though the fig tree does not bud, Though the olive crop fails, though there are no grapes on the vines and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall and no blessing and no relief and nothing to even rejoice in. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior because the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me, even in times like these, to go to great heights. This prophet, Habakkuk, chooses faith. Or how about Daniel? Daniel, who will never see it. Daniel, who will never even experience it personally. Listen to what he says at the end of his book. He says, there will be a time of distress. This time of distress will be like something that has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book of life will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. He responds with faith. Habakkuk responds with faith in a way of going, I'm going to have to endure. I'm going to have to face it. But God has made a promise that it will not delay. And though I don't see the blessings now, I'll hold on because he'll strengthen me now in faith. Daniel approaches it a different way. I'll never see it in my life. I won't. It's gone. But I know that God is good. And I know that God is just. And I know that God will make this right in the end, even if it's long after the time that I have gone to the grave. And that it's so good and so right that he'll even raise me again. Raise me again to see the fulfillment, the promise, the hope, and the salvation that I yearn for in this lifetime. Every moment that I had to wait. It's in these times when we cry out to God and he says, wait, that he also invites us to that kind of faith. It's not his invitation just to them, it's his invitation to us as well. I uh, 
I was reading um, a book recently. It's a, uh, a collection of, of prayers and devotions written by Puritans, actually. From the time of the Mayflower, basically up through the, the 19th century. It's called the Valley of Vision. And so many of these have begun to resonate with me, particularly in times when God says, wait, there's one out of here that I'd like to share with you today that for me embodies what it looks like in those times to cry out to God in faith. It's, a, it's called Voyage. And it's going to sound like very Mayflower-esque, but, but, but please keep in mind that even though it's talking about ships and oceans and those kinds of things, it's in reality talking about something so much deeper. Let me just read a few selections from here today. O Lord of the oceans, my little bark sails on a restless sea. Grant that Jesus may sit at the helm and steer me safely. Let not my faith be wrecked amid storms and shoals. Bring me to harbor with flying pennants, hull unbreached, cargo unspoiled. The voyage is long. The waves are high. The storms are pitiless. But my helm is held steady. The word secures safe passage. Thy grace wafts me onward. My haven is guaranteed. Let my mast before me be the Savior's cross. And every oncoming wave, the fountain in his side. Help me. Protect me in the moving sea until I reach the, sh the shore of unceasing praise. That is a prayer of faith. If you're here today, in the midst of God saying, wait. I would like to also invite you to this God who promises that he is good and just, kind and merciful and will see it through to the end. I invite you if your faith is wavering or has long been shipwrecked, or hasn't even departed from port yet. To dare to trust him like those prophets did. And maybe make that same prayer your prayer today. And invite the band to come forward. And as they, they get ready, I'd like to invite you to rise. And we, we've taken that prayer except in full. And we're going to put it on the screens for you today. And if it is a prayer you want to pray, I invite you to join me with it today. O Lord of the oceans, 
my little bark sails on a restless sea. Grant that Jesus may sit at the helm and steer me safely. Suffer no adverse currents to divert my heavenward course. Let not my faith be wrecked amid storms and shoals. Bring me to harbor with flying pennants, hull unbreached, cargo unspoiled. I ask great things, expect great things, shall receive great things. I venture on thee wholly, fully, my wind, sunshine, anchor, defense. The voyage is long, the waves high, the storms pitiless, but my helm is held steady. The word secures safe passage. Thy grace wafts me onward. My haven is guaranteed. This day will bring me nearer home. Grant me holy consistency in every transaction. My peace flowing as a running tide. My righteousness as every chasing wind. Help me to live circumspectly. With skill to convert every care into prayer. Halo my path with gentleness and love. Smooth every harshness of temper. Let me not forget how easy it is to occasion grief. May I strive to bind up every wound and pour oil on troubled waters. Let my mast before me be the Savior's cross and every oncoming wave the fountain in his side. Help me, protect me in the moving sea until I reach the shore of unceasing praise. <laughs>